Corinthians chapter 2. That's where we're going to pick up this morning. So last week we did, uh, we focused on verses 1 through 11. We actually kind of went back into chapter 1 and started in verse 27 and focused on 27 through 11. Um, Part of what I want to do this morning is review a little bit. What did we talk about as those three subsections that are in 1 through 11? Do you all remember? All right, so 1 through 4, 1 through 5, Paul's giving an exhortation to the church and telling them they need to do something. All right, what's the second section? Brian, you got it? Yeah, so then Paul gives an example of what he directed them to, specifically Christ's example of how he humbled himself and put our needs ahead of his needs. And then what's the third section? You know, Julie? I think no. Yeah, it's Christ's exaltation, or an, another way to say that is, it's Paul gives instruction to the church, example of how they should be, and then the results of what comes from that, living that way. So he gives the example of Christ. Christ humbled himself, humbled himself to death, um, gave up rights that he had, and then because he did all of those things, God exalted him above all others, uh, and every knee bows to him. So, in all of that, Paul is providing for the church, and then, uh, uh, in the same way, ourselves, examples of how we should be like Christ so that we can do things like put others' interests above our own. Um, When we ended last week, we had just started a discussion of... um, what does it look like to live this way? Crystal made the last main comment, which was an idea that was the comment on the idea of sacrifice, and that in order to live like Christ, we have to sacrifice or be willing to sacrifice just as Christ was willing to sacrifice. What I want to do as we start is I want us to kind of bring those thoughts to mind again and actually think about What are more specific examples, real life examples that we have seen or you have seen or you know of, um, of people living lives of sacrifice to help others, to put others' needs before their own? So if you could take, if you have a sheet of paper, it's great. I'm going to take a minute or two. Love if you write down a few examples of those. I have some in my notes. And then I'd like us to talk about those a little bit by way of both exhortation, providing examples like Paul did, um, and also so that we can all have ideas ourselves of ways that we can be sacrificing. So write down examples of sacrifice that you've seen in your life or the lives of others. Um, uh, could be for partnership of the gospel, but could also simply be sacrificing um, in many ways for others. When we lived down in Mississippi, 
there was a couple there, James and Barbara Smith. Um, they were um, older, although interestingly, now I don't know that they were quite as old as I remember them. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny when you were 10 and now you're almost 40. Um, they, had, they, were, they were blessed financially. They had a large home. Um, and the way, the way what had come to pass is basically they had two houses stacked on top of each other. They had basically two three-bedroom houses that were in a two-story house. But um, uh, they lived on the top, and they let anyone and everyone that needed the bottom floor use it. So for my family, that meant before we moved to Vietnam when I was 10, we had rented out our house that, that, was, that we owned in Mississippi, and they allowed us to live in that first floor, I think for four months. Um, and then when we came home in the summers, that was where we stayed. Um, and they let us use vehicles, they let us use their home, they provided in every way that they could, um, just over and, and, over and above what, what you could imagine anyone doing in terms of sharing uh, their own possessions. What examples do you all have of sacrifice? Yes, ma'am. Can you think of a specific example in your life where someone, you've seen something? Yeah. Um, on my list, I also had um, the shells as they cared for Miss Jenny. That was a, a years-long endeavor that was much longer than they thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, Danny, <laughs> Alan says 10 years. That's how many years long it was. But, but they sacrificed to, to take care of her. Yes, ma'am. That's lovely. Brian. I had, had an aunt and she long passed away. She had a great job with the phone company and she retired early to help her mother take care of her father. And then she took care of her mother and then she took care of my mother when she got sick. So you're, she years and years. You said your aunt took care of, was that two or three people as they her aged? Her father, then her mother, then my mother, and my mother. That's amazing. That is the sacrifice of life, right? What else? What other examples do y'all have? Yes, sir. Things that they were trying to pay for. 
And so this person, in particular, what I remember about him is he talked about how he had to work two and sometimes three jobs to support his, his own family. He had four or five kids. And uh, just that example of, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice for your own family. Yeah. That's just what the father is called to do. And whether it means working two jobs or three jobs, Yeah. Um, here, um, many of you are aware of the situation that our family's been a part of with a young lady named Greta that has had lots of need. Um, and many here have sacrificed to help provide for her needs um, and, and in ways that aren't solely identifying a need now and providing for it, but also preparing to provide for a need that may come. So lots of details I won't go into, but suffice it to say, Nicole set aside her, an extra room in her home <coughs> and furnished it with um, baby stuff. Greta has a young child. Um, and set the room aside so that anytime Greta needed a place to leave, so that she could leave and go to due to some family situations, that was immediately available. That, that sort of idea of not just sacrificing because I see a need right now, but being so thoughtful as to consider what need may come that I can prepare for now so that when in the moment the need is here, I don't have to try to stress or worry about it. Instead, I've made provision to sacrifice for others. That sort of example helps us to understand when when Paul says that we're to look to the needs of others, to put their needs above our own, to put their interests above our, our own, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. These examples of sacrifice and putting others ahead, we've shared a, we've shared a lot here, but, but there are so many others. Um, we often talk about COVID as like this really negative thing that happened. And I mean, yes, a worldwide pandemic was, was really bad. But what's interesting to me is the examples and the times in that, in that crazy time that, that we had so many opportunities to see and care for the needs of others. You may think it's small, but the fact that in our congregation, we were willing to, in some ways, have space constraint problems, sitting every other pew and sometimes, and also more space than that, which meant some people sat in the hall so that there was enough room. Well, just to be really clear, not everyone in this building thought that was necessary. But some people thought it was necessary. And, and that's an example of how Brethren who, when we don't agree that something is needed, we can still acquiesce to the interest of our brother. And in that way, we can all worship together. I mean, in another time, have you ever had a congregation say, we've made provision so that this exit here is so if you want to leave and not talk to anyone because you're concerned about getting sick, this is your exit. That, that sort of that sort of thing can seem small or insignificant, but there are people who are able to come to worship because of those provisions. Um, uh, there's a lady 
um, in Mississippi named Sylvia Wood. Um, if, you, if you read any of the books that Sewell Hall has written, one of the books he has details is a, it's just chapter after chapter of example like this. It's a neat book. One of those chapters is about Sylvia Wood, uh, who's a very close family friend of ours. Um, she was a school teacher, taught second and third grade. Um, she's retired now. Every Sunday morning, she would leave her house around seven in the morning, and she would drive a 15-passenger van and pick up any of the children that she knew that were willing and wanted to go to worship. I, I don't, I'm very certain that, that they broke some safety laws based on how many kids came out of that van sometimes. But, but sometimes Sylvie would bring 15 and 20 kids on Sunday mornings to worship. It was a sacrifice when Sylvia got up and did that. It was also a sacrifice for the teachers who had no idea if they were going to have zero or 10 students in their class. But those people spurred by Cynthia were the only light of God in those children's lives. And some of their lives were changed because of that. Because Sylvia sacrificed her time, her money to buy that van, Many sacrificed their time to help engage those children in Bible classes and provide examples that have changed their lives in ways that we can't all understand or anticipate. I, 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 wanna, I wanted to talk about this, one, because Jerry asked me to. He asked me to go back to this, and then he missed the first 10 minutes of it. Um, you, can, you can watch the video. Oh, you are? Okay, good. Um, but, but I want to I focus on this a little bit because... This is a very basic idea, putting the interests of others above our own, that enables us to be united in the fellowship of God. That if we want unity in our group, if we're concerned about that, which I'm blessed to say I don't think we are concerned in that we lack it, we're generally concerned because we want it. But but being willing to sacrifice my own interests so that others can be served and have their interests met is part of what paves the way for long-term peace, unity, and good work in this family. And love. And the more that we can look to the interests of others, if all of us do that, everyone's interests will be cared for. Because I can trust that you have my interests at heart, and you can trust that I have your interests at heart, and in that way, we will know that when decisions are made that we don't agree with, when things happen that we don't agree with, I have comfort that you considered my needs and my interests and didn't make that decision you knew I didn't like or didn't agree with. I can have peace and know you must have made it under great duress if you're willing to go against my interests. And, and you can feel the same when the elders have to make decisions that you don't agree with if you know that they generally look more to your interests than to each other's, than to their own, then you can have faith and confidence that they only made a decision that is difficult to agree with if they had to. And that way we can give each other grace and mercy and extend that love through sometimes trying times. Yes, ma'am.
Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. More. I've been thinking about First Corinthians 13. Um, if we have the same goal of love for each other and love for Christ, we will believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, believing the best in each other. Um, that when difficult decisions are made, it wasn't <coughs> slight. It wasn't to. There wasn't a hidden agenda. Right. Which I feel like happens a lot that we don't talk about as openly. Mm -hmm. um, when our feelings are hurt, um, there's literally no reason that your feelings could be hurt because um, if we are striving for love for one another, you would believe in the best of each other. Yes. Peace is enabled when we believe the best about each other and we hope the best for one another. Any other comments before we go into the rest of chapter 2? All right. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to read Philippians 2, 11 through 3, 11. Jerry, do you mind reading that? My voice is, could use a break. Say focus our next conversation about uh, verses 12, 12 through 18. So if you could take just a minute or two, jot down any notes, things you noticed, questions you have, things you'd like to discuss. We'll do that together in just a moment. 
12 through 18. All right, what did y'all notice about this section? What'd you say? Yeah, do everything without grumbling or arguing, and why should you do that? What's the why? So that you can be blameless and pure. All right, so what does that mean we can infer about blaming and arguing? To be more specific than that, you won't be pure, which what does that mean? If you're not pure when you do those things, what are they? They are sin. That blaming and grumbling and disputing is sin. <laughs> I don't know that we often present it that way. That here when he tells them they need to be free from these things in order to be pure and blameless, I think that means if they don't avoid these things, they will not be pure and blameless. Um, we might think that's extreme, um, but like when we looked back in Exodus two weeks ago, when we talked about the time that the Israelites spent at Massa and Meribah, where they cried out to the Lord and they grumbled and they um, disputed, said things like, did you bring us out here to die? No question, that was sin. But he doesn't, he doesn't make it solely about those sorts of things. He just says, don't grumble or dispute so that you can be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. I don't know that I've always considered grumbling or disputing uh, in that serious a manner. What else? Julie? Yes. Yeah. And that, all that makes us. Yes, I agree. Were you Yeah, uh, kind of connected to that. So the example we had in the previous section is about Jesus' obedience. We see obedience echoed again in verse 12 in regard to our actions. And I think the point I'm taking away from this is, is you can live obediently and sacrificially in the mm. So when I approach obedience and sacrifice the way that I do those things, the attitude that I bring to those things is important. And validate or invalidate my action. And, and then maybe if you continue that, invalidate my salvation. Right. Yeah. Um, what else do people think about this idea of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Two big points from what 
was said. One, <coughs> the idea of working out here could mean I have to work to understand what the scripture wants me to do. It's not just easy. I have to dedicate time and effort to understand the things. Um, and the second being that this is not a single event. That I have to continually work in order to attain the blamelessness that's mentioned here. What else? Any other thoughts? Teresa? Yeah, so what Teresa said is it's not just in, in Paul's presence, but also in his absence. That's the idea where he connected it to, you're, you were obedient when I was there, and even more importantly, he says, you were obedient when I wasn't there. That working out your own salvation is not solely about working it out when you're in the presence of the one who has taught you the Bible, or maybe when you're in the presence of this group like we have here. But that working out your own salvation is truly an individual thing that you do, um, not always, not dependent on the presence or actions of others. What about connecting this to the next verse then, which Julie went into a little bit, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What do you think it means that God is working for his will and his good pleasure inside you. Again, I think it implies that you know, God gives us that will and the strength. That is, that is the gift of salvation that we are also working on. Okay, so the idea of God gives us that will. I'm a little uncomfortable with that language. It's hard for me to necessarily say that God gives me that will. Not that you don't. Disagree. <laughs> I haven't decided if I disagree. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to stress that that's just one interpretation. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, no, don't, don't feel bad. I think it's a, I think it's a concept. Part of what we have to wrestle with, with this passage is, is this saying that God goes to Chip and makes Chip what he wants Chip to be, and that Chip had no choice in that. What you say? It's all Chip making decisions. Okay, so you said it's Chip making the decision to put God first. What do you think that everything that you do is salvation all goes to God's credit. It's not your credit, it's God's credit. Agreed, it's to God's credit. But how do we think about this idea that God is working in us? Josh? It's a hard Yeah, so I, I, that, I think that's a good, a good spin there, Joshua, that, that this is about the choices that we make and will we allow God to do that? And once we allow him to make change, God will make change. So I think that's, I think it's really key here that this isn't telling us that God's just going to zap Brian and say, well, Brian, you believe now and you're saved now. David Lee? 
have this sincere effort, this sincere joy, this, this confidence in their faith. And this seems to be referencing that God is increasing that for you. Yeah, I agree. Jerry? Oh, Jerry, you. He's Jerry. You in the pink shirt. Barry. Barry, Jerry, whatever. Yes. So Ezekiel 36, good passage to reference, talks about God changing our hearts, taking a heart of stone um, and turning it into one that loves him. I also wrote down Ezekiel 47 um, as the idea of the, the water that comes forth from the temple that pours out onto a desert land. And what happens when that love pours onto the desert land? It springs to life. It's, as, it's almost a, an image of like the Garden of Eden has now come because this water has, has been, been put upon the desert. And that when God's love, when we allow it to be poured into our hearts, it will take a deserted place and, and fill it with life and love for him. Um, uh, you were going to say something, Chip? Sorry. Yeah, I, I can't open connect this. Oh, no. 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 Oh,
I want to say back what I think you said. Make sure I understand it. If you look at this idea of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that at least involves some level of self-reflection on myself, my work, the things I can do, and the, the service I can provide. And when you connect it back to 1 through 11 and talking about sacrifice and service, I have to use that gift accordingly in order to achieve um, and be viewed as blameless in these ways. Is that um, I, I think sometimes it can be difficult, this concept of God working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. The, we have many blessings for those of us who have grown up um, uh, in God's service that we have not known potentially some things. Um, we, have, we have lived lives that while um, contain sin, hopefully, they were guarded from much of that throughout our lives. Um, and so sometimes the change that comes to our life isn't as evident at first. If um, when we seek God to help us to be better. And, and this is a difficult concept and a little controversial. So I'm not trying to say that people that only sin kind of were not in sin. But instead it's difficult sometimes to perceive that change. Um, especially the younger you were baptized, potentially, the younger, if you came to the Lord, hopefully you avoided a lot of sin. It was, so it's not evident in your life, hopefully. Um, there's a, there's a, a man in, or was a man in Vietnam. He, he passed. His name is Dong. Um, when his, when he first came to a Bible study with my dad, he um, came almost against his will. Well, certainly against his will, actually. He came because his wife was coming. Her name's Cook. And he, is an ex, he was an ex-military uh, member, um, actually worked with the Americans. He spoke some English. Extremely poor, blind in one eye. He sat through the entire Bible study, um, ambivalent at best, but aggressive and angry through some of it. Um, and when he left... Um, Dad assumed he would never see Dong again, that he would just never come back. The next week, he came back, and in class, he was completely different. He was answering questions. He was asking questions. He was engaged. So when everyone else was done with the study, they left, and Dad asked Dong to stay. And Dong apologized. He said, I'm, I'm so sorry. I did not read all of that book. And dad said, do you mean Luke? It's a long book. Like, I didn't expect you to read all of it. We were just studying a chapter. He said, no, 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 no. I didn't read all that book. Dad said, what do you mean? He said, I only read the new part. Dad said, what do you mean? He said, well, since, we were, since they were together last, Dong had read the entire New Testament, all of it. So when the man came, he was angry, embittered, um, nearly violent in some ways. He read the entire New Testament on his own in a, in a few days. And what Dong said to dad in broken English was, God opened wide my head. And from that moment forward, after he was baptized, he stopped drinking. He was no question an alcoholic before that. He never took another drink. 
He beat his wife every day before that. He never raised a hand to her again. And he became one of the most amazing workers for the Lord in that city. God worked in him for his will and good pleasure. And he was changed forever because of it. I share that example because it's so extreme. And so it's so easy to see. But, but when God works in us for his will and his good pleasure, it's no less extreme. It just may not outwardly be as evident. But if we allow him to work for us, to work in us, he will help us work out our salvation. It isn't something we have to do all alone. He is with us. Anything else in this section before we go on? Chip. I would just add to what you said. You are some of those tools that God has placed in this particular time, in this particular situation. And um, we just need to discover our connection. And I, think I, I place a lot of these verses when you read discovering our potential when we just know about God. Do what you can to do. I realized I, I was going to skip ahead um, to the next part, and I totally forgot to talk about Paul being like a drink offering. Um, what does that mean to you all? When Paul says that he is being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of their faith. Um. Okay, so you're talking about like the the, the way the drink offering is, it's completely poured out. He gave everything. That's great. I think that makes sense. What else? Well, yeah, I, I'm curious about it too because it implies that Paul is the sacrifice that the others are giving. Like uh, in a traditional sacrifice. All right. So, so then is it, does that mean that Paul's the sacrifice that's being given? Well, if you, if you think back... If you go back to Numbers and you look at the drink offering, do you guys remember what, when is the drink offering made? What did you say, Chip? After, after what? Yeah, so we, we, generally when we talk about sacrifices, there's a whole lot of sacrifices, but generally in our, like, daily discussion, if we were talking about this, we would talk about the burn offering. We think about the burn offering as sacrifice primarily. But the burn offering was not the only sacrifice that was given when the burn offering was made. There's also a grain offering, which was a quarter of an ephah, I believe. And then in some cases, there was a, an oil offering, which was a, some portion of a hen. But I don't know what a hen is, so I just know that it's some. Um, and then there's also this drink offering that's poured out. And it talks about when the drink offering is poured out, it goes up as an aroma to the Lord. 
So I, I don't know that it's clear. Barry, Barry may know somewhere that it's clear. It doesn't say that the drink offering is poured on the ground, although I've heard it talked about that. But to me, when I read the sections and numbers that talk about this, it talks about the aroma. I see that as a cloud or like a billow. So almost as though the drink offering is poured on the altar and it, it puffs. It, it makes a billow. And that goes up to the Lord as an aroma. Barry, you look concerned. Am I saying this wrong? No. Okay, good. You're just concerned about something else. Great. <laughs> I'll find out about that later, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, so here, I'll get right to you. Here, when Paul is talking about the fact that they are a sacrificial offering of their faith, and then he has poured out as a drink offering on it, I think this is bringing forth the idea that, that they, are, they are a primary offering, if that makes sense. But... But the sacrifice of others is part of what has made that possible. When Paul sacrificed and went to Philippi, spent time in jail, um, that was part of the sacrifice that made their faith possible. And so while, while the burnt offering was the main sacrifice, it's the main event of the sacrifices in a way, these other sacrifices around it, like the oil and the grain, and the drink offering were necessary as well. They were no less commanded. And in this way, I think here, Paul is saying, I'm sacrificing myself with you. Um, I'm in support of your sacrifice, enabling it in some ways. Um, and, and I think this is highlighting, earlier when he talked about partnership in the gospel, I think this idea goes hand in hand. What were we going to say? Yeah. Mr. Mayberry, I, I skipped you a minute ago. A little earlier in this chapter, he says, have this mind among yourselves, and he describes Christ in the of himself. And this seems to be a direct correlation. He's, he's not just telling you Christ did this for you. He's saying, you have this same mind. You do the same thing. And then he's demonstrating how he is doing that very thing for them. So yeah. he is emulating Christ as he told them to. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I think it's a beautiful thing to consider that Paul is an accompanying offering to their offering. <coughs> and what if we thought about our relationships with each other the same way? Jerry offers his sacrifice of faith, his offering of faith that's mentioned here. But in my life, I live with Jerry in such a way that I am a drink offering to his primary offering. That, that we all serve together in such a way that we complete each other's service. And that no one sacrifice is all the Lord is receiving. Instead, when Chip sacrifices himself, I'm sacrificing myself with him as an offering. When I do that, Chip is offering himself in service and help and support of my own offering. This, this idea of then the drink, if all of us have a primary offering of faith, and then if we are all also a drink offering for one another, think of that billow 
that when the, when the, the wine hit the coals, it created this billow of steam that could be seen and smelled and heard. And that we're that for each other. That we help provide the aroma that goes with each other's primary offering and service. I think that's a neat way to think about how we live and work together. Thank you all.